Good morning. Man, you got to wear the breads to preach the bread. <laughs> and Tori, I ain't, I ain't that short, dog. Uh, you know. Um, man, guys, uh, today is a special day. I don't even know if you know. I might be butchering this, but today is a day um, that doesn't come frequently. Um, it's a pu- palindrome, pal- palindrome, palindrome, yeah, where it's 20202. 2002, and we can read that front and backwards. What, okay, 2020. I'm sorry, Doug. You're right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. What did I say? Man, that's when I graduated high school. I didn't. I'm just kidding. Um, but they say that um, a day like this happened 900 years ago. Like this is, and it's, so it is a special day. It also is a special day because what is today, guys? It's Groundhog Day. Yeah, let's go. Um, <laughs> no, it's actually Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with y'all. My team lost. My team is not good. Uh, I'm a Denver Broncos fan from Denver. Represent that 303. This is how we do it, 303. Um, I don't know why I did that. Throwing up gang signs up in here. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited because, man, and also um, today is a special day because we are diving into the word together, and we are continuing our series in 2 Timothy. And man, Adam just killed it last week, him talking about discipleship. I don't know about y'all, but I was so convicted um, with, with his, even his Bible and, and what it means to, to dive into the word together. And I'm just super excited to keep this series going, and we're going to dive into it. Uh, before that, I want us to do a little bit of an introduction. So here's Paul, right, who's writing in jail his last letter. And writing to a young Timothy who was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging him with the final words as he's, what, passing him the baton. So Paul has written his first letter, which we have in 1 Timothy. And his first letter is to straighten out matters in the church. And the second letter that we are in, Paul is writing with a very personal, pastoral love and care for his spiritual son. And the aim of this is to hear the tone of what it means not only to be loved by God, an encouraging reminder of the identity we have in Christ, but also to understand and feel the love of what it means to love one another. Because God's command for us is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a beauty that happens when God's people take this call to love God and love others that really begins to usher us what, into grace. Yeah. And love God. And that's what Paul is doing here. And here's the thing. If you're sitting here and it's hard for you to feel or know what it means to be loved by God, My prayer is that the backbone and the tone of this letter that we are about to read shows the power of what it means to be a family that is loved by God. And I hope and pray you begin to hear the tone of what it means to be part of family. Because that's what's happening here. Paul here packs it with intentionality, and it was meant to be read over and over and over again as an encouragement. 
And I'm sure Timothy read this letter over and over and over again to be encouraged. You know, um, my wife asked, always asked me, hey, is there any illustrations about me? And I, you know, I said no, but um, I guess it's an illustration. Um, before our, um, our wedding, on our wedding day, um, we had actually went out and wrote each other letters. Um, and it was something that was just very sweet. And, you know, like I wrote her a letter and I gave her the cheapest Tiffany necklace. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, she wrote me a letter and gave me a nice watch. And, um, but I remember reading that letter, and I still have it today. And I'm reminded, and I, I open it up and I read it to encourage my heart and my soul and remind us of, of, of and it brings me back to my wedding day. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's writing this pastoral letter and he writes to Timothy in, second, in, the, in chapter 2 as Adam wonderfully preached about reminding Timothy of his call to be one who disciples and reminds him of the identity that is found in Jesus. So this is what it says. It says, remember, this is from last week. It says, remember Jesus Christ risen, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And he says, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And what did he say? He says, but the word of God is not bound. And he's encouraging Timothy to say, don't forget who you are. Remember Jesus. Remember that he conquered death and that he's alive and he's not bound, but actively pursuing his people and that you are a child of God. And I want to reemphasize what Adam said last week is that is our identity. And that brings us to our text today. And let's, so let's, let's go in. Uh, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14 through 26. Man, if you are new here or if you don't, um, even if you aren't new, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and the ushers will come and give you a Bible. That is our gift to you. We want you as a church and we as a church to be in the word, our eyes on the word, and, and really just being able to dive in. And it's going to be really applicable today. So if you need a Bible, please, please, please raise your hand. And then you can also follow us along on the YouVersion app. Um, it's up on the magic. Just kidding, that's what it's, um, it's up on the, <laughs> on the screen, and you can follow us along there and, I'll, and take notes um, as we begin to dive in. So let's go. Let's, um, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says this, verse 14. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. But he says, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanias and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. 
bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And he says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, get this, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from this, their escape from the snare of the devil that being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you guys were encouraged by the reading of his word. There's power to that. So my aim this week or today is, is, is that I, we're going to go into what it means to be unashamed and approved, unashamed and approved, which leads us to striving for holiness so that we can usher people to grace. So we are unashamed and approved, which leads us to strive for holiness so that we can usher people into grace. So what does it mean to be unashamed and approved, right? So verse 14 and 15, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one what approved, a worker. See what Paul is telling Timothy here. He's saying, Timothy, don't you see? You know where your identity is found. I know that there are people at your church who are lost and swerving from the truth. But be encouraged to know that your identity is found in what? In Jesus. Remember Jesus who was risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and the gospel which I preach to you is alive in you. That Jesus came through that which is the incarnation while becoming human, and Jesus died on behalf of our sins, the atonement, and that Jesus, what, conquered death in what? The resurrection. And throughout chapter 2, the resounding thing that Paul is saying is, remember, 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 remind, and lead. Do you remember? Don't forget the mission on hand. Yes, there's false teaching and, and people are being led astray, but do not be well, ashamed of the truth of the love of God through Jesus Christ. What convicting words. Man, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, I had to repent so much as I was writing this. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Like, there are so many times in my life where I have theological debates, where I talk about baptism. I'm not going to get there, but... <laughs> 
and I talk about this and that, and I talk about what the word of truth is, and there's so many times I think and, and I talk about what is correct that oftentimes I don't see the person, but I see winning an argument. And it's during those times that I'm not being reminded of the power of the gospel. He wants the gospel to gospel to be prevalent and not his own agenda. And what does he say? Go back to the basics. Remind yourself of the foundation, the death, the resurrection, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Go back to the foundation. Keep your eyes on Christ. And it's in that we begin to realize that what we can be unashamed of our identity. That we are children of God. That we are fully, what, approved in God, ready to, what, to do his work. Let me ask you, what is your identity found in? What do you believe of yourself? Man, it's always hard for me to understand identity, right? I'm a Korean American. And it's always hard because, like, I grew up, you know, my parents being a first-generation Korean immigrant in here, and it would, in my house, they would teach me a culture that was guilt-based and, and what it means to work hard. And then I have the Western culture, and I've always felt like I had something to prove. Y'all don't know, but Asians are always picked last in basketball. <laughs> Until Jeremy Lin came on, and then sanity happened for a little bit, and then we started hooping. Uh, <laughs> But man, I, there was always a conundrum that's in my heart. I didn't know what it meant. I lived in a guilt, shame-based life in my house, and I wanted something to prove to people, and I never quite understood what it meant to have approval. That's what I strive for. That's what I wanted. But what is Paul saying? He's encouraging Timothy to say, what, son, because you know that the verdict of sin is what death, but because of the grace and life of Jesus who took your place and received what death on the cross because of our sins is Jesus who resurrected from death once and for all, that if you believe in Jesus to be your Savior, that when God sees you, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Jesus and that we are fully justified. That we are what? Approved by God. And because of that, that we can live our lives, what, unashamed. Just as we sing, there is freedom in the way that we can live. Do you live in freedom? Do you understand that in the gospel that you are fully approved? Not by a person, but by God. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, when the world sees you, do not worry about winning arguments. What? But what does he say? He says, win them to Jesus. Be someone who's unashamed, approved by God. 
we now get to live in the security of belonging to God. And because of that, we can live unashamed, approved by God. We have a call to live faithfully, and, and living that faithful life is representing Jesus and pointing things to Jesus that our lives need to reflect on what it means. Look at Jesus. Man, do you believe that on yourself? Do you believe that on yourself? Do you hold on to the cross that says that you are loved and your identity is found in the love that Jesus would die for you? As a people, do we really understand what it means to be unashamed and approved. He's reminding Timothy of the identity found in Christ. And being someone, and, and, and what does he do? This leads us to strive for holiness. This leads us to strive for holiness. It's because of our identity that we strive for holiness. Second point leads us to, to strive for holiness. What does he say? He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanias and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal, and the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone whose names are the Lord depart from iniquity. What does he say before that? He says, but only ruins the hearers. And it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And then he says, a worker, somebody who does work and who has no need to be ashamed. And the right thing that he does is where he goes into is rightly handling the word of truth. He urges Timothy and calls him as he strives for holiness to be somebody who rightly handles the word. Let the word of God be the very navigation of your life. The word used here to translate as rightly handled actually means an alignment that happens. So what is an alignment? Alignment is if you're driving a car and you hit a bump and for some reason your car starts swerving left and it starts swerving right, what happens is your alignment is off. What you got to do is you got to pay a, um, a mechanic. <laughs> you got to pay a mechanic some crazy amount of money to align your wheels. That you can what? Go straight. <laughs> and it's only fixed when we get an alignment that brings us back. And that's what God is. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, that's the word. Are you swerving left and right? Are things not working? It's because you're not rightly handling the word. And Paul's call to Timothy is to look to the word. Be committed to letting the word be your foundation. Let your conversations be of the word. Be transformed by the truth of the word. Why? Because we learned last week the word of the Lord is not what bound. Do you believe in that? It is active. And there's something about being in the word and understanding the word. And as a church, that is our call that we will be in the word. 
Man, I'm excited for February because we as a staff have been working on material for Lent. And man, it is awesome. We are focusing on being in the Word. And we're emphasizing things in the Word. We're in February 26th on Ash uh, Wednesday. We'll be reading passages together for 40 days. And the aim of this year is a high emphasis that not only are we reading as a church together in the Word, but we are actually talking about God's Word in all of our meetings. Guys, I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited as a church to really dive into God's Word together to have our conversations about God's word. And also trust in the spirit that it will convict, move, and really build up us as a body. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's reminding Timothy, how do you strive for holiness? What, be in the word. Paul sets the identity that is found in Christ, and he charges Timothy pastorally. And what he's saying is what? He also goes in and says, through that, he's saying, reject worldly thinking or reject anything that deviates or swerves you off of keeping your eyes on Christ. Anything that is not foundational truth of God's word. And there's a call to Timothy, what, to strive for holiness. He's saying you are a worker, but Timothy, stand in the truth, and this is going to take work. You know where your identity is found. Now be a worker. See, Paul is calling out Hamanias and Philetus, and it says, who swerved from the truth. And many scholars believe this word, swerve from the truth, actually has connections of what it means to rightly handle God's word. What Paul uses here is, is, is what he's saying is, is, is it actually has to do with archery. That there's a target that these people are going and they're swerving away from the truth and the target that they're supposed to hit, they go opposite and they actually miss the target. And they miss it completely and Paul is warning Timothy to avoid irrelevant babble because when we do that, it will lead people to more ungodliness. Church, do you lead people to Jesus or do you lead people to ungodliness? I want us to feel that way. And he sets the foundation and calls Timothy to strive to not deviate from the truth. And he uses examples like gangrene as an example, and it's something that literally is an infection that eats away your toes, fingers, limbs, muscles, and internal organs. It's something that smells, and the only way to get rid of it is to cut it off or out. And Paul's charge here is Timothy to become constantly guarding your heart because so easily we can be caught up in things that are not important. I am one of them. So many times in my life, I look at it and my mind is thinking about Jays and Jordans and, and all these different things. I have to repent. I'm thinking about the Broncos or I'm thinking about all these different things. And my mind is not in the word. And Paul goes on, 
Verse 20 and 21, he says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use. It says, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about building a house. And he's reminding Timothy that it isn't the outside of the house that makes the house sturdy, but it's actually the foundation of the inside. And the thing is, asking is, what do you set your eyes on? Are you internally rotting because you are only worried about the appearance of what people can see? What you spend the most time doing and what your mind is thinking about is, is the most is what you worship. Do you think about the word? There's a call here that, that Paul is saying, think of the word. Do you think about the word of God rightly? Do you think about God in your life? Do you think about the power of gospel all over all aspects of your life? Or do you let culture and the world define who you are? Because there's a war that is happening, and you see, if you let culture shape it, it will fail. But if you let God shape you, you begin to see the joy of the Lord, that your identity is not in which will fail you, but your identity will be found in Christ who won the war for you. Why do you go to battle with insecurity when you can go to battle with the security and the power of Christ who died and resurrected? And he calls Timothy Does holiness and striving for holiness a priority in your life? That you will go against culture and know that you are fully approved by God, that we can be unashamed, setting our eyes on Christ, striving to be more like him. Church, we are to fan into flame and take over the city. We need to strive to make ourselves set apart. Striving for holiness, justice, gentleness. Man, this week has been hard for so many people around the world. And actually was here um, cleaning up and doing a teardown, and I got this text message that said, you know, Kobe Bryant has died in a helicopter crash. And I, I, I didn't believe it to be true. And all the sports talks and news have been surrounded about stories of how Kobe influenced them. And the thing that we hear in all the stories was what? Kobe's tenacity to strive for excellence. That his work ethic in perfecting the craft of basketball leaves us with a legacy. That's what you keep hearing. Here's one man who is passionate about basketball and putting the hours in the gym that really shaped and changed all sports and touched so many lives, from soccer to football to basketball, to girls' basketball. And I know that because, man, I wanted to be like Kobe. And it happened every time he went to the gym, there was a hunger and a tenacity to strive for excellence. And think about that. He's touched so many lives. 
But here's the thing. How much more would a sovereign God use the abilities of his people striving for holiness and being in the word that just won't make an impact here on earth, but make an impact for eternity forever and ever and ever and ever? Think about that. What does it mean to be in the word and strive for holiness? This week, one of my best friends um, actually called me on Monday, and he informed me that his grandma passed away. And, and I went to the funeral service, and as sad it was losing their beloved grandma, in some sorts it was actually a celebration of faithfulness. During the eulogy, one of her grandchildren was sharing how her grandma used to make them memorize and read scripture. That's what she said. And here's the thing. And she shared that it all started not with her grandma, but with her great-grandma. That her great-grandma came to faith during a time in persecution in Korea for Christians. In fact, in fact, the great-grandma's brothers were actually killed for their faith. They were martyrs. And her great-grandma would have her children write out these verses that she heard and she memorized. And she would make her kids write them down. And as they would write them down and memorize it, they would have to throw it in the fire. Because if they got caught, they would be persecuted. She went against all culture to be rightly in the word to strive for holiness. And it was the faithfulness of her great-grandma who went against the culture and let scripture transform their lives that brought what? Salvation to one generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, and actually to the next generation. And her whole family is now going to be in eternity with Jesus. Because she chose to rightly handle scripture Think about that. Think about that. And here's the power of it. The grandma's great, great, great grandchild was up here on this stage singing a song that says, yes, I will. That talks about having joy when his heart is heavy. It's actually a story of my beloved brother, Chris, because his grandma passed away. But because of the faithfulness of his great-great-grandma, that he affects us and leads us in worship, that he's able to sing songs that says, when my heart is heavy because my grandma passed away, I will sing with joy. a legacy that will impact eternity. Brothers and sisters, fan into flame. God's use uses our faithfulness to make his name great. There's nothing that we do for the power of the gospel that is ever in vain. God uses all things for his glory. 
so that when we usher people into grace, it's because we are unashamed, approved by God in the word, and we as a people can strive for holiness. And as we strive for holiness, what does Paul say will happen? It's the spirit that leads his people what, into grace. So my third point is ushering people into grace. Verse 22 through 26 says this. It says, so flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Man, I was struggling to really look at this passage. Let's look at this. Notice in this passage, Paul never says to reject even those who are led astray. He doesn't say that. He says, don't have anything to do with their arguments. But the prayer that Paul has is that through the faithfulness of Timothy, that, that he will see the truth and it will lead them what, to salvation. And Paul calls Timothy at the end of this and says, be someone who knows what? Truth and be gentle. Who stands for truth, but what? Walks with. Who knows justice, but knows grace. And if you think about it, it's almost contradictory. How do we navigate being bold on where we stand, but gentle and patient? What is Paul reminding Timothy? He's saying we need to do both. And Paul's saying that we need to be bold and we need to love. And he's reminding them what of the Lord's servant. In fact, in verse 24, that's what he says. He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. What is Paul showing? He's showing the gospel at work. He's showing the nature of Jesus on the cross. He's showing the lion who became the lamb. He's showing the strong who became meek. He's showing the holiness of God who became sin. And on the cross that we get a picture of what justice and grace He's pointing them to Jesus. And there's a call here that Paul is commissioning Timothy and says, look to Jesus who patiently endured evil. Because isn't it on the cross that Jesus didn't curse out his enemies? Doesn't Jesus say on the cross to the very people who are killing him, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Isn't it on the cross that Jesus says, my life for theirs? Isn't it on the cross that Jesus shows mercy and love by going to the cross? Isn't it Jesus who could have brought the legions of angels down and it would have been just, it would have been just for all of us to perish, but says, no, I must die in their place. Jesus knew that the gospel was more important than even his own humiliation. That Jesus wouldn't fight fire with fire, but he would humble himself to dive into the fire of sin by death on the cross. And that all who believe in him what would receive life. That even though on the cross it looks like that Jesus lost, 
that he knew that by taking the place of our sins and going to the cross to die for us, that three days later, the victory would be claimed because he will take death once and for all and the glory of the resurrection. Jesus' love for us says that he will take our place in the depths of our sin. Now we get to be clothed in righteousness forever. That God's, read this, God's justice was satisfied by the death of Jesus. And now we get to share in glory for eternity. Paul is reminding Timothy. He's saying, be strong but gentle. He's reminding him of the cross where justice and grace are met. That is ultimately Jesus, who was unashamed of the word, that lived a life of holiness, what only to die on the cross. Why? So that we usher people into grace. Isn't that make you want to strive for holiness? God would use that, that we partner with God. That he would use us to make what? An eternal impact. You see where your identity is from, that we now get to be people who live our lives, setting our eyes on Jesus, and because we are approved by him who took our place, that, we, that he will use us to usher people into grace. Brothers and sisters, fan into flame. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Make an impact.